Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. It's episode 64, by the way, and if you're saying, well, how is that possible? Um, I counted, and before we made it its own podcast, I did 62 Flashcasts in the TV feed, so 64. That's where we are. Good number. Uh, to talk about Doctor Who Season 13, Episode 2, Flux, Part 2, Chapter 2, whatever it is, War of the Suntarans. And I am joined by two fantastic, wonderful people who are also fantastic, wonderful Doctor Who podcasters in their own right. Uh, let me introduce them to you now. First, uh, from the Radio Free Scarrow podcast, but more importantly, Lazy Doctor Who, it's Stephen Schapansky. Stephen Sontar, hi. Sontar, Hello. And from the Verity podcast, but most importantly, from the Lazy Doctor Who podcast, it's Erica Ensign. Erica, Santar, hey. <laughs> Santar, ha? Huh? Wait, no, that's an actual no, line. No, not one of those. Although that's a good one. Turns out there's a yeah, bad one. Yeah, that's true. There's yeah. a celebratory and then there's the, the, sad, the, the one. sad you failed version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Santar, Heidi, Heidi, ho. Yeah. <laughs> uh, war of the Santarans does what it says on the tin. There's Santarans. There's a war. I mean... Yeah, okay, solid. Yeah, but it starts with a creepy house floating in the air, and then we never see <laughs> we that never again, see and I want to know what is happening with that. Creepy ha- castle house thing? In black and white? In black yeah, and white, the- yeah, that's the end of the universe. It's drained uh-huh. of all color, is it? We, we learned. It, that makes sense, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I'm just, like, I'm, we're two episodes in. And I feel like this is the Chris Chibnall Doctor Who, which I think I was probably expecting. You know, yeah. the one of serialized storytelling mm-hmm. that he did with Broadchurch that made the BBC basically wait two years until he was done Broadchurch to become Doctor Who showrunner. Uh, and then we never got that for two years. And now finally, a pandemic has basically forced them to do a serialized storytelling because it's more uh, beneficial logistically. And I feel like we've been robbed of Chris Chibnall's best um strengths towards doctor who mm-hmm. yeah whether it was from whether it was internal pressure uh like him thinking no no i need to fight my urges and do doctor who mm-hmm. or yep. whether it was bbc pressure or a little bit of both it does seem seeing this it does seem like especially the first season was him trying like he had a something up on a whiteboard which was like no no old monsters uh standalone storytelling all of these things that are like fighting against what he probably should have done and then season 2 relaxed it a little bit but this is a very different kind of feel from his first two seasons it just feels so much more vital and alive and interesting and sort of like i mean maybe they didn't have as much time as it feels like it did to I don't know, do multiple passes at the scripts, but I feel like maybe it was helpful because when you're doing all standalone episodes the way things were previously done, you have all of these separate stories that each need their own tender loving care and and attention. Whereas here it's one big story that we're telling in smaller pieces. So I've just I don't know, it feels like it's holding together better and I have fewer like what the heck did that mean sort of questions that like, well, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know yeah. what it means, but I feel like it's going to be answered. Whereas I felt like some of the standalone stories, whether they were by Chibnall or somebody else, I don't know. They just they didn't feel like they had had as many passes at the scripts as maybe they should have. And here, I feel like since it's all one story, it just it, it hangs together better. It also feels, and I talked about this last week with James, um, I, but I'm curious what you think about this. This is sort of our new segment to start these episodes, which is <laughs> it's the it's the flux uh, check in. I, I I wonder. 
I don't know whether this is the last gasp because we all know that Russell T. Davis and Bad Wolf are waiting in the wings to make uh, season 14 in 2023. <laughs> but I, w- I don't know if this is the last gasp or if this is a, a proof of concept to say, what would Doctor Who look like if you made it like modern television? Because mm-hmm. um, in 2005, Russell T. Davis said, well, here's what you do is they're hour long episodes and they stand alone and they look like any episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or you name it. Right. It's a it's a it's a sci fi TV show. And the thing is, in 2021, that's kind of not what a TV show is. It's a short season telling a story that drops on a streaming service and uh, tells one story. A lot of modern TV is like that. And I look at Flux and I just think, oh. So I, you know, whether this is the future of Doctor Who or not, this seems to be Doctor Who doing what you'd get on a Disney Plus show or you know a, a, any kind of modern um, cable or streaming show. Yeah, it it definitely it definitely feels like that, and I for one am really enjoying it. <laughs> I am too. I know. I I, I do wish that it wasn't. Uh, it, it didn't take this long. It does feel like perhaps Doctor Who itself is in flux in the way that it's it's being it's being you know now created like basically all of its competitors mm-hmm. uh but it's still we're still like let's hope the uh the audience watching Countryfile on BBC 1 uh leads directly <laughs> to a big uh, overnight viewing figures for Doctor Who it's still stuck in that that world mm-hmm. where we're basically trying to like get you know five million people in the uk to watch it to make sure the ratings are good uh before the rest of the world gets to see it at the same time so i'm 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 hoping that that the future as we're basically reiterating our uh incomparable episode about the rtd taking over but i hope that this is this sort of pushes that um in that direction i just didn't think that the uh sorry erica i i i just wanted to say i didn't think that the um that we would get this season and that it would be such a uh sort of a, a a connection or a footnote to what that discussion was that we had about yeah. like what does it mean that RTD is coming back and you look at this and, and that's why I keep saying now I'm starting to think that rather than this being kind of like well the last hurrah of the old Doctor Who that it's actually Chris Chibnall saying this is what you should make this is yep. this is what the show should be now and I am very pleased uh, and we talked about this a little bit on last week's Verity I, I'm I was wondering because in that first episode we got scattershot like a whole bunch like this is your introduction to these people and these areas and like all this stuff and and it was a lot and I thought it was great and fun um, but I was a little bit worried thinking about a lot of modern television shows where you can't point to one episode and just be like oh yes episode named such and such yeah. is the one in which that happened because there are so many different storylines happening at the same time and my guess on Verity which was poo-pooed by some of my co-hosts uh, was that each episode of the season is going to sort of primarily focus on kind of one thing, probably whatever the doctor is doing, and some of the other some of the other storylines are going to kind of fall to the side and then be picked up in later episodes. And my guess was sort of based on the the title War of the Santarans for this episode, thinking this is going to be the one where they deal with the Santarans mostly, and some of the other stuff <laughs> isn't gonna isn't gonna happen. And it's, I don't remember who else it was, but they were like, "Oh, I don't think so. I think we're going to get a little bit of everything." And I'm right now I'm saying "ha ha" because we did not. We still got the Santar ha ha yeah yeah like it was basically just two things. We dropped the Weeping Angels. We we dropped. Um, 
Di, uh, Diane. Yeah. Um, some stuff we just didn't see at all. The but... flux itself. We see the aftermath right. yeah. of the flux. Mm-hmm. But the black but and white. But yeah, so we mostly aftermath. stick around yeah. with the doctor. We mostly see the Santarans. And then we also see, like, you know, Yaz falls through time and ends well, up at that at the temple. And the, that's what we get. I, I was thinking of, I mean, obviously when Loki was on Disney+, Plus, everybody talked about Loki as being kind of like the... Uh, like an homage to Doctor Who almost in the way I it was never, done. I never got it. I, someday I need somebody to sit me down and explain why because I just didn't see there's, it. There's, well, anyway. there's, uh, there's, <laughs> I mean, it's there's time and there's alternate like things. But th- anyway, I bring up Loki in order to say now I'm comparing this season to Loki and the way that they're similar and not, not quite the same but similar is there are some episodes of Loki, for example, that are the episode where this happens. There are also yes. some really samey episodes where it's like, well, they, you know, Owen Wilson and they ran around a lot and then mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. Uh, but there are some that's like the episode where this happens. And episode one was kind of, of the of flux was kind of all over the place because it was doing setup. But this episode feels very much like either this is the one with the Centaurans or alternately, this is the one with the Centaurans as well as the through line of the plot that is kind of going off on the side with in the temple with Yaz, which we'll talk about. Um, but it feels that way. And, and having seen the next time trailer, I thought like, okay, and next time is going to be the episode when this happens, plus the plot goes on. So I think it is going to be more episodic than maybe yeah. the people mm-hmm. who really thought it would just be um, uh, just all blurred together would think. And I, but I think that's okay. Like I, I don't want modern streaming television to, completely just turn you know i'm not a fan of the it's just a six-hour movie thing like it is yeah. an episodic yeah. medium you should it's do episodes yeah yeah and with cliffhangers yes. yeah you shouldn't have to say well you know it starts off pretty slow but by three or four it starts to really pick yeah. up like this is I, not bad. I don't yeah. want that and i'm glad we don't have that no mm-hmm. it's it's true it's true well it, it's fascinating to watch this and and um there, we learned a lot this week um i guess uh there, there are three main three main buckets here. So I've kind of put the plot actually as a little behind the scenes. Uh, I write, I take notes as I'm watching. (laughs) Right. And, um, we get to the moment where, uh, the episode basically stops and says, wait, what if there are three different plot lines in this episode, (laughs) which, um, it made me laugh because, um, so we have the, the climax from last episode is the flux is coming for the TARDIS and what happens. And the answer is black and white floating castle. <laughs> and then, and then in a very weird moment, like they're out in a countryside with a, with the TARDIS behind them. And they're like, I guess we got thrown out of the TARDIS, which is a funny moment. Cause it's like, or did you, what, what exactly is going on here? And, uh, there are dead soldiers all around. Um, and, what we, and and we meet Mary Seacall and it's the Crimean War except they're not fighting Russians they're fighting Santarans and that's very weird <laughs> mm-hmm. and the Santarans say Santar ha at the moment I said oh I guess we're keeping that okay um, <laughs> and then and then there's a moment where Mary Seacall says come inside to the British my British hotel and I thought to myself oh. I hope it's not bigger on the inside because that would be really weird. But it's not. It's the same size on the inside. Uh, But but then what happens is Dan glows blue and disappears and Yaz glows blue and disappears and the doctor says, I'll find you. And I thought to myself, okay, I get it. You have three stories you want to tell. I don't entirely understand why they were there to begin with and why the the show just didn't start with them separated because it is this heavy hand of like, now there will be three plot lines. And it's like, okay, I mean, they just glow and disappear. There's nothing like it just it is the script saying away, away, three, three stories must be told. 
I mean, I guess I guess the TARDIS could have jettisoned all three of them in different time locations. But I mean, I I read the fact that they were tossed out of the TARDIS as part of the the singular plot line of the TARDIS dealing with all of this stuff and having right. these problems. Broken time. And basically yeah. just mm-hmm. spit them all out for their own safety, which is why there's no door then when the tra- doctor oh. tries to get back because the TARDIS is dealing with I, stuff. That I was love, super creepy. I love that so much. Just to keep going around and around the TARDIS and there's never the door side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and good. also the fact that it introduces Dan to the Santarans so he knows what they yeah, are well, before that, he ends mm-hmm. up back in Liverpool with his parents. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's your answer, right? That's mm-hmm. why they have to. I mean, I guess that he could have said, well, who are these guys and why are they here and all of that? But he gets the he gets the introduction before that. It just I mean, I don't have a real problem with it other than it felt, you know, super artificial like it is. You know, you know, Doctor Who is good at artificially separating the Doctor from the companions. I will admit it happens all the time. But Mm -hmm. this was this was kind of high level like and then they gloat and they were gone. (laughs) It's like, okay, all right. I did appreciate, too, that like the first thing that we see is uh, Dan's hand. It's very back to the future. Yeah. at that moment i was like right. i, I at first away. thought it was a back to the future thing and just the fact that history was being rewritten meant mm-hmm. that he was being wiped out and i was really upset but then when the doctor you know gives us the basically techno babble mm-hmm. saying you're oh, falling you... through time it's artron energy or whatever yeah. versus the vortex energy. time vortex is yes. interacted with the thing and the flux yeah. yep yeah i was like phew i know what's curious is that like dan goes home Mm-hmm. Where there are Santarans, but then Yaz goes to the Temple of Astropos on Atropos, Atropos. Atropos mm-hmm. on time on the planet. Time. Uh-huh. Like I wonder why they went to those specific places. I mean, the the Liverpool thing for Dan makes sense because that's the only other anchor he has anywhere in space and time. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas as a seasoned time traveler at this point, Yaz has been left, right, and center, and front and back, and everywhere throughout like time in the universe and stuff. So it, I I was not surprised that she gets pulled. You know, she to this one place, which is the singular place where really important things are happening. I mean, even okay. the guy from, from Liverpool 1820 was there. That's true. So yeah. it's was, definitely got a magnetism. Yeah. Erica, I was going to say headcanon accepted, except now you have to, now do Vinder. <laughs> Why is Vinder there? Yeah. <laughs> that I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe he was just stationed near it and maybe, it was just total coincidence. Maybe. Okay, well, let's talk about the temple then because we might as well start there. A- Atropos, by the way, is one of the fates. So it is a definitely a time you know, time travel-y adjacent thing, which is Atropos is one of the, the three. It's a it's a triad. So the, when the three visitors come, that's also kind of interesting. The, it is, so it's the temple of Atropos on the, on the planet of time. There are these floating uh, triangle things that uh, I was delighted to discover <laughs> refer to themselves as priest triangles. And I was like, I love good. it, but they're not, they are not triangles. They're not. Nope. They're t- any more than a cannonball is a circular projectile. Right. Or, I was like, do you or, not think or, of three dimensions anymore? Or that a cube? Is a square, right? A cube right? is not a square. Maybe, maybe they were. T- maybe they're like the uh, the time traveling uh, triangles from the Five Doctors or something. Like I just that. I was trying to figure uh, out how to write down what they looked like, and then they called themselves triangles, and I'm like, yep. good enough. They look like Megara trapped in a lantern. That's what I thought. Trapped. So I got. I, I will be repeating all this conjecture on Ready for Scar later today. But <laughs> I got some very uh, season sixteen of classic series yep. Doctor Who key to time vibes, being mm. the Megara trapped inside what looked like Mentalis 
upside uh-huh. down from the Armageddon factor. <laughs> Passenger, who is the third now with yes. uh, with uh, Swarm and Azure, looked very much like uh, the Shadow, also from the Armageddon uh, factor. Yep. The frozen Muri in time very much reminded me of Queen Xanthia uh, in the Pirate Planet. Mm-hmm. So clearly there is a There's Black some... Guardian, White Guardian, <laughs> Key to Time uh, cr- crossover coming coming right down the pipe here, and uh, we just got to be ready for it. <laughs> some shenanigans for a guy with a bird yeah. on his head. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure that Chris Tripto was waiting to do. We need to reference specifically a Doctor Who season that aired in 1978. <laughs> and, then, and then that will make all the sense in the world. Or at least, or it was just a nerd it. in, the, in yeah. the set direction department <laughs> yeah. who Maybe. decided to put all that stuff in at Chimney Hood. Nothing to do with any of that. So these floating triangles or whatever they are, they call themselves yeah. triangles. They self-identify as tri- triangles. Yeah, we'll just true. call them triangles. They're not triangles. Sure. They call them triangles. It's fine. They're three-dimensional triangles. That's the yeah. important part. Yeah. They're like pyramids almost. And also it's the three, right? Atropos is one of three, and they're the three baddies who are here, and it's all threes. One is called Passenger, passenger. which is interesting. Mm. Mm, yes. Yeah. I, I also I, noticed the, mm, the scene where The unseen, first... largely unseen, only shadowy third figure oh. of Passenger. Yeah. Yes. And you've got Swarm... Like kind of, you know, looking around at the temple and saying, you know, Atropos, where it all started. And the first time I saw it, like, I thought he was looking at Passenger and calling Passenger Mm -hmm. Atropos. And then I realized, oh, maybe he's just supposed to be looking around. But maybe not. Maybe it's both. So they just need somebody in the carpool lane to get there, perhaps. So we do get, we do, we get the digging guy from 1820 who who says Mm -hmm. it's 1820 and like, or is it? But he's in the hole and he said, I I told this is, I I told everybody this was going to be bad. Everything is porous. Everything is broken. I'm uh, I'm out of here, and then he leaves. And Vinder, um, you know, Vinder is there, and Yaz is there. So we 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 get finally you know, Vinder attaches to the rest of the plot. Welcome Vinder <laughs> yeah. to the plot. Uh, you didn't just you weren't there just there to see uh, the flux. You you're actually a part of it now. Yaz and and Vinder meet, and then we get this. I think this is the actual plot of the season right which yeah. is whatever's going on here which is the the secret plan of uh of uh the the three baddies of of swarm and azure and the passenger um and it is so here's here's the download about this place it's the temple of atropos all time passes this is the planet time planet of time uh we uh, Temple of Atropos, we were designed to moor time, say the triangles. Designed by who? Not answered. Very Mm -hmm. suspicious. Uh, Mm -hmm. Time must not be unleashed. Time is evil. Evil! And it will seek (laughs) its own. And when the baddies come, we get more of this where where it's like, it's, uh, what is it? It's as you said will be more powerful than before. Now we're on now we're at the Temple of Atropos where all began and all will begin again. And so you know, lots of lots of things you could pick up on here, but it, it um, I gotta say, given what Chris Chibnall did last season, that this seems to be my guess is of a kind with his sort of idea of well, where did the Doctor, the Timeless Child, originally come from, mm. and how is this tied into sort of the origin of the the Time Lords and the or- origin of time in the universe, and that the sort of like the binding force of time that we may have sort of taken for granted in Doctor Who, this may be at the source of that. That that's the I mean that's my best guess right now in wild speculation territory. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm kind of on the same page. I'm I'm waiting for it to. Um, you know, f- filter out and get a little more clear, but it does sure. seem like that that ti- that but that timeline of the story that that plot line strongly yeah. implied is, anyway is yeah. like this is sort of about the origins of time and time isn't what you think and yes time is evil. 
Mm-hmm. Apparently. Is passenger Omega, perhaps. Mm. <laughs> and he creates the Time Lords and Gallifrey or, or something. Or is passenger actually the doctor? The doctor, oh, yeah. A very, I, the next, not probably not the next doctor. Well, because, because mm-hmm. one thing that happens is they show up with passenger, right? Yeah. We don't see that, right? We saw... Uh, the nice lady in in the Arctic Circle turn into. I think they Azure. didn't actually. I don't think they even arrived with Passenger. I think they arrived and then there's Passenger because uh, uh, Swarm turns around and says Passenger has arrived. We are or we are three. Uh, so I don't think they were. A tr- I don't think there were three of them until that moment. So was he ever anywhere mm-hmm. but the it's temple? A, Did he just manifest? It's a nice move, right? Because. Yep. It's there if you pay attention, but it's also one of those things that you can just accept. It's like, well, okay, they're they're omitting information, but I'm sure it all makes sense. And it's like, well, yeah, that's how they get you. And then later they're like, ah, yep. but but we played fair. We we didn't ever show you what was going on with Passenger. Um, so until we need to know, the question of the week is: Can you repair? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Even though you don't know what the problem is, can you repair? And then, and then later, in one of my favorite moments in this episode, you are not repair. You are forbidden from the temple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's too late now, guys. <laughs> Triangles. Yeah. Also, I I like that they said you know you are identified. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know they mentioned that they had been there before. Obviously, if, it took a little while, but the triangles remembered. <laughs> they found <laughs> the files. Yep, mm-hmm. they found them. Yep. Yep. They seem very. Very simple, like very simply, straightforwardly programmed those those triangles. I like them because they reminded me of, as we keep saying, the Megara from <laughs> the Stones of Blood. Justice, justice creatures, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, so like there's, there's these little points of light who don't have a whole lot of files. Like it's, it's a, just a few lines of code. <laughs> Can you repair? Can you yep. repair? It, it, repair should not be done by idiots. Can you repair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> If it was if it wasn't season seventeen of Classic Who coming out on Blu-ray in December and not and season sixteen instead, I would I would see this as a great uh-huh. tie-in to BBC merchandising. Mm. Alas, but uh, that that one little that mm. one little change now just throws my conspiracy theory. Oh, it turns out that's what this whole season has been about is just promoting a Blu-ray set. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Explains so much. Now mm. we understand. Um, what else is in I, here? I mean, there's there's some some Yaz stuff here where because um, it's poor Yaz gets to meet the baddie right away, and that's pretty mm-hmm. scary. And th- yeah. we get the, those moments of uh, does the doctor know you're out this late by yourself? And she says, I don't think we've met before. And his response is, Oh, such linear creatures. And mm-hmm. then no, because he knows her, calls her by name, says she's got written. What would the doctor do? Written oh. which. That is the most unbelievable thing in the entire, like, I don't care. There's time travel. There's aliens. No, no, no. The most unbelievable thing is that you could have something written on ink in your palm and it hasn't smudged in the least. I'm sorry. That is where my <laughs> suspension of it disbelief be, breaks down. It may be special time traveling ink that you got. <laughs> Erica, you know. I Erica, thought it was a tattoo. <laughs> in, in between seasons, she got a tattoo that says, what would the doctor do? Yeah. That's, it, that's Yaz. Yaz is, right. uh, and, and she's really hoping the doctor got one too. She didn't. <laughs> unfortunately unrequited as always mm-hmm. um and, and he says uh how would how does she choose you any of you you are, are so unremarkable <laughs> which yeah. i just really liked i like it when the villain comments on the format of doctor who <laughs> yeah, basically like. it's, especially since one of my i, I don't want to say complaints but one of the things that i like less about new who than i did about classic who is in classic doctor who any old person could stumble into the tardis and suddenly become a companion because you know they'd lost their whole family or planet or whatever whereas there's been a, a recurring theme in doctor who since it came back to the air about how the doctor actually chooses their mm-hmm. companions and they must be worthy in some way or another yeah. or they're going to get kicked out like poor adam and <laughs> like, that some, has, like some giant survivor episode or something yeah. 
and, and that yeah. has kind of bothered me. So I sort of like the idea that they're they're hanging a lampshade on it. Like you know, you're all. <laughs> You're all just useless creatures. I always viewed it as, as being more like the doctor will pick you up and take you for a ride. But there comes a point where the doctor has to be like, no, I'm not inviting you to travel with me anymore. You're, <laughs> like you're no good. control. Whereas here. Dan, yeah. Dan gets it in this episode, right? We haven't gotten to that part of the script. But but Dan, she's just like, you want to come? And he's like, sure. Okay. And it's like, yeah. good. Okay. He passed some test, I guess, somewhere with his frying pan he passed a test but uh but it doesn't always happen that way i guess um, oh I, another little tidbit here is that, that when they're referring to the um whatever they're called the muri i guess mm-hmm. yep um the little sort of statue but also people but also broken uh in the temple uh they say that they are um quantum locked mm-hmm. which uh is, is, like a, the is a weeping angels, angel thing yeah. so yeah. just a uh, we we ha- we haven't seen the weeping angels in this uh, segment of the story, but we have seen them, and it feels like um, that's another. So, and the weeping angels devour time energy and send people back in time, right? So, it, I, I yep. again, if I'm if I've got my mood board out with the red yarn, <laughs> um, I'm gonna circle that with a highlighter pen. And uh, not the yellow, like a green highlighter pen, and say fair, hmm, fair. probably time related uh, is a mm-hmm. weeping angels thing too. There's something else going on there, but you're Maybe not repair your cousins or something like something that. like that. You're not repair. That's, That's it. They can't. They can't. All, they're all looking at each other, so they can't move. Perhaps it's just the oh. origin of the weeping angels. Mm. <gasps> okay, they were failed Mari. Yeah. Let's. Um, th- there's a big finish that happens at the temple, but we got to wait because we got to get everybody else there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's talk about Dan. So Dan has a little adventure after he glows blue and disappears. He goes home and finds out that the Suntarans are there and they are using the uh, the Newcastle uh, shipyard. No, Liverpool. Sorry. Apologies to various coastal cities because <laughs> on, on, on seas who are industrial. It is the Liverpool shipyard mm-hmm. that is using um, – they have a better football team. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Newcastle. <laughs> I know it hurts. Uh, Liverpool shipyards are building Suntarans ships now. Yay, I guess. And uh, Suntar- <laughs> we learned Suntaran curfews are the worst. Just don't stay out later. They shoot you. Yeah. Um, well, try to shoot you. They're some of the worst shots of stormtroopers. Yeah. Mm. They're very, very bad at it. And mom and dad Probably defeat the, them with know, a frying pan. So, yeah, you know. That's true. A frying pan and a wok. I, I feel uh-huh. my head cannon for the for the fact that they're so terrible is that you know they're a clone race, right. and not every clone is necessarily going to develop as well as you would like. So the poorer clones that get dumped out of the vat, those are the ones that are just on like you know p- patrol, patrol for duty. the All right. yeah for for the curfew because like whatever they're just chasing humans. They're not really that big of a threat. They're not used to Earth gravity. I don't think they can like see that. very well. Yeah. I think they. That's my, mm-hmm. my helmet was on crooked. I could not see the human scum. Um, so, uh, also a, a line that I really liked, which is, uh, when Dan r- first arrives, um, and he's seeing, uh, Jim, who is like his, I guess maybe his landlord. So he's like, sorry about the house. I can explain. And then later we yeah. get that line, which is, did somebody steal your house? Somebody nick your house? He's like, yeah, uh, good callback. I like, th- I like that. But basically the Centaurans are, have, have taken over the world and, um, their, their temporal offensive is near, um, which not tempura offensive, not the tempura we do <laughs> discover. Yeah. 
Dan, I like that. I like that Dan's oh, Dan. parents are. This is maybe the most positive representation we've had of companion parents mm-hmm. since Doctor Who. Well, maybe ever, but right. like certainly since Doctor Who has come back, we've always you know we've had some really cool storylines and actors and stuff. But you know, RTD sort of seemed to have a thing against moms. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was a little uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. watching sometimes. And then you have Clara, whose family is. Sort of non non-existent. or miss, depending yeah. on the episode, whatever. Oh, I guess I guess you have parents now. Yeah, right. and Amy's parents are non-existent for yeah. a while, and then mm-hmm. they sort of come back, but nobody cares. And except she does, I'm sure she yeah. does. But yeah, so here we actually have like loving parents who are clearly a part of the his life, but <laughs> yeah. not in a terribly naggy way. And they have like this adorable family chemistry, mm-hmm. like all you know, saying the line about the dad's boxing championship in 1966 <laughs> all together. Yeah. It's just it was just very brief, but it kind of gives you an extra glimpse into what made Dan the person that he is and Mm -hmm. what get you know he a lot of times I'm like okay we're supposed to think this companion is just going to sneak into the dockyards and try to climb onto a spaceship only two days after learning that aliens even exist and then when you meet his parents who are walking around with cookware and knocking down centaurans I'm like yes okay this is the kind of guy who is going to do that Mm -hmm. so it it just worked on a lot of levels for me yeah Dan's mom played incidentally by someone 11 years older than John Bishop okay (laughs) wow so 11 years yeah, yeah. I did. I did have the thought that his parents looked pretty in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, he he thinks can, he can get into a spaceship for some reason. I, I thought that was the moment, like sneaking in to see what was going on, and and he sees some people get executed by the Centaurans, which is a, a you know a, a pretty dramatic moment. And I think trying to mm-hmm. amp up the tension of the the Centaurans are bad and they are happy to kill people, and sometimes they will actually shoot them. We didn't have the scene where they they execute those people, and then he looks back over the box, and they all are still standing there because they missed again. That doesn't happen. Yeah, they died. <laughs> no, you yeah. saw the shadows fall, so yeah. that was good enough. Yeah. They died. But he's like, I know, I will climb aboard a spaceship and figure it out. Which I thought, okay. Uh, I really? thought the exe- <laughs> I thought the execution scene actually kind of led directly to that. Like, I'm not sure he would have done that had he not seen people, possibly people he even knew, because right. you know he's mm-hmm. a, a lad about town in Liverpool. Um, I think that that might be why he whips out his phone and starts recording. Right. And again, headcanon on my part, but I wonder if his thought is, this is important and the doctor needs to know this information. Mm-hmm. And even if I don't make it out, I have made this recording and probably the doctor will find some way to find my phone and get it. So here I go. I'm going to do everything I possibly can, even if it costs me my life, which it almost did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about right. Oh, by the way, I I, I need to mention, again, uh, Centaurans in modern series, they do this Santar Ha thing, and they do it a lot, yeah. and it goes on a long time. And I really enjoyed that after they kill the people, they execute the people, which I didn't enjoy. That's bad. They're terrible. But then they do the Santar Ha thing, and I thought again, oh, okay. And then you hear the commander say, "Enough." <laughs> yeah. thought, oh, so that's how you stop those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Other commands of ours just let it go on forever and yeah. ever, but no, uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's enough no cliffhanger enough. imminent. We can stop this now. No, it's that's it. The, and I, I imagine Chris Chibnall being like, "How do I get out of that?" Enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he says, and then, then they yeah. stop. Good because we don't hear them anymore. They're good at following going. orders. They're yeah. bred for it. It's silence, you. It's enough. That's mm-hmm. you reached it. That was all the haws we needed. <laughs> um, so uh, one one little detail that I like about the Centaurans is that they consider any act against them to be an internal act of aggression. This is, I know this is a little subtle thing, but like if you, if you are out uh, past curfew or if you spy on the Centaurans, it's all betrayal and treason. 
Mm-hmm. And I just think yes. that's a nice little tonal touch of like the Centaurans are not only just on a war footing, but they consider any action against them to be a betrayal. Even if you're the enemy, it doesn't matter. It's a mm-hmm. betrayal of the Centaurans. Yeah, I noted that too. I like it. They're singular in their vision. Yeah, or you know. or or they they landed on your planet, so now you work for them. And if you work against yeah. them, then you are betraying them. You you don't get to opt in. It's treason. Because yeah, it kind of goes over. back literally to the very first scene of Lynx coming mm-hmm. at the in the Time Warrior, nineteen seventy three, putting his flag his in there, tiny little flag, and then just basically, you know, you all now servants of the Sultan Empire, mm-hmm. and like he just like mm-hmm. he just expects everyone to follow the line because they probably did that to many planets, mm-hmm. uh, and instead they just get a bunch of bewildered uh, knights in the thirteen hundreds. Well, it I, is I, very much, you know, I think from that episode on, the Centaurans are a grotesque parody of uh empire right like that's yeah. mm-hmm. that's what they are <laughs> the ultimate colonizers yeah. yeah so it's it's rather fitting that they're fighting you know a british army from mm-hmm. the 1850s mm-hmm. you know which yeah. is basically the this is the very same army they are parodying. i learned it from you yeah. Suntars. Yeah. i learned yeah. it from you <laughs> Um, let's see. The dog man, Carvanista, shows back up right when you need him. He still has a human in this fight. Yeah. (laughs) He's got Dan there. Stupid Dan. I got to save Dan again. Okay, fine. I'll save Dan. I love their relationship Mm -hmm. so much. Like, and the fact that Carvanista just keeps saying, you're welcome. And (laughs) Dan never says thank you. And at the, like, even at the very end, when Dan's like, I hope I never see you again. And the feeling is mutual. But then as they turn to rock around, like, Dan nods at Carvanista carvinista nods at dan yeah. and it's like oh he really is man's best friend uh, the, the um what are, what are you carrying it's a walk you look ridiculous yeah. <laughs> which right. is true also a very good uh, mic drop moment failed mic drop moment where he says i guess i'm gonna walk right out of here and then yeah. there's a million suntarns like yeah okay uh, he he tries on a couple of quips pan fried yeah. suntar i guess uh-huh. i'll just walk right out yeah. of here he's yeah. doing the arnold schwarzenegger thing it doesn't work yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love it that's that's good. It's a good use of Dan. Again, mm-hmm. using Dan where Dan is, you know, we're yep. making fun yeah. of Dan a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Was not expecting to like Dan as much as I uh, as I did. I yeah, even after the first episode I was like, okay, you pushed all my buttons. <laughs> You've made me love this guy even though I was really annoyed that we needed another middle-aged white guy on the TARDIS, but he was great. And then I was like, okay, so how is he going to be going forward? And I was like, oh, he's still pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I still really like pretty him. Pretty funny. Yeah, not taking him too seriously. He's uh, he he, yeah. needs, he needs help. His dog needs to help him out every now and then. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, alien dog man. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the also we get the uh, moment where they're trapped by the Centaurans and they've got a plan. Uh, Carvanista has a plan to ram their ship that they stole into all the other Centauran ships, which will cause a temporal implosion. Which, as hand wavy plot resolution things go, I thought this was pretty good. Which is yeah. we're going to dive bomb the shipyard and it's going to blow everything up i thought that was actually pretty good and then they're locked in place it's like oh no how are we going to get out and he uh shoots a hole into what turns out uh it it seems at first like it's a nice like almost like a water slide but apparently it Uh was a a poop slide because it is the (laughs) centauran waste tube um Mm -hmm. and uh but they do escape and blow up everything and they, they land in the river and uh, they they uh, they have saved the day without the doctor, just a a, a man and his dog alien. I do friend. I do dog like the man. I do like the Carvanista, like you know, shakes himself off as any normal dog. Saw, would, yeah, as he gets out of the water. Yeah, full of water and Sontar and poop. Apparently, I feel like uh, yeah. And all, all, the only line is something like like what was that? <laughs> what yeah. was that? What, yeah. what, what I thought it would be, and he's like, yeah, it's the waste tube. It's I mean, who knows what Sontar waste the, is like. The, 
the close-ups on them as they're sliding down it make it look like it's just an empty tube. Fun water so, slide. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it had like maybe later. Uh, it's lower down. Yeah. Bottom. <laughs> they hadn't been on Earth long enough for it. It was a relatively new spaceship, so not that much so. had collected. Just a Although little bit. They, they, they only eat like through their probic vent anyway. I mean, that's so, true. Like, the waste could be all gaseous. It could be all like gas. That. That's right. That's true. Know. But, but we know, you know they're wet because they landed in the river. Although that's yeah. another thing. Yeah. Like they fell out of that ship from pretty high up. Like well, higher sure. up than than most bridges. That yeah. you know, I, I'm sure Carvanista has a <laughs> has a like a thing like a, a, a uh, some yes. sort yeah. of an inertial dampening. Gotcha. Or a parachute. I don't know. Advanced. Headcanon accepted. Yeah, advanced doggy paddle. Some dog magic (laughs) that happens there. Also, by the way, just because the the waste tube is just gas doesn't mean that it wouldn't smell real bad. That's all I'm saying. That's true. I did appreciate Carbonista howling as he's sliding through the tube. Dan's yelling and he's just, oh! The next time you watch that scene, just imagine that the air that they're breathing, it's all centauran farts. Yep. That's I will. Head, now I will. Headcanon from now on for me. Sontarta. <laughs> Sontar. Anyway, yeah. um, what else? Ha- oh, well, so that's it. So we should go back to the doctor then. All right. Because mm-hmm. this is our our uh, our main plot, which is a uh, person from history. I have. I do not know Mary Seacole. I like I've learned about her yep. now and oh my like I want I need to read more about her. She, there's actually she has an autobiography that she had written herself. It's like 200 pages of of about her her life which extends well beyond this. She lived through the Crimean. She was doing really interesting things before that and like apparently she met Florence, Florence Nightingale, Nightingale for about 5 minutes yeah. <laughs> during the Crimean in War. passing essentially. Yep, basically. Uh and on a, I mean Florence Nightingale great, but Mary Seacole sounds way more interesting to me. Yep. In terms of what she did. Yep. Set up her British hotel. It was actually called the British Hotel. I yep. mean, this is me like skimming a Wikipedia yeah. articles. I am very sorry, historians of the world that are listening. Yeah, but it's but, good. Uh, it's, yeah. Even in a silly, you know, alien invasion storyline where the Centaurans have replaced the Russians and the Chinese apparently in, in history, um, we get a historical, <laughs> celebrity historical, even within that context. This yeah. show, just in the last couple seasons, has taught me way more about British history than Doctor Who had for a really long time. Like, I just, I feel enriched in a way that I think Verity Lambert would approve of going mm-hmm. like, you know, and Sydney, <laughs> Sydney Newman all the way back to like the remit of the show when it first started. I know. I knew nothing of the partition of India. Same. To my shame until I watched Doctor Who. Uh, I didn't know anything about Mary Seacole. Mm-hmm. Or I, really, I still don't. I should probably read more and I want to know and more about will. the Crimean War and everything. And Yep. Mm-hmm. You know. I yeah. think and, maybe. And she yep. was great. Yeah. I think maybe some of it is that is that uh, classic Doctor Who's idea of what history they were going to tell you about was sort of the classical history or like a or, or a more mythological history of of whereas modern Doctor Who seems to be like yeah let's go to segregation south U.S. and meet Rosa mm-hmm. Parks or let's go to this really maybe the darkest moment in the series of very dark moments in the history of the British Empire which is the partition of India uh, and and here we get the Crimean War well that was that was not a not a war that is lionized I think even in Great Britain um, and yet a lot of people died <laughs> and here we are with a version of that except with Centaurans instead it's a uh, I think, yeah, our idea of what British history is is not maybe what it was on TV and on a Sunday afternoon in 1965. And watching 
the doctor interact with uh, Mrs. Seacole was it was just really interesting sort of the the acrobatics that my brain and heart I guess did as I was watching it happen because I was like okay cool like we've got a celebrity historical it's it's not somebody I, I know so this is interesting and then like I, I love Mary Seacole just the way that she reacts to everything she is in charge this is her place and she's asking really smart questions and making smart observations and then like the point where the doctor says let's go for a constitutional because she wants to go and follow the really really foolish Santarin who just walks straight yeah, back to yeah. his base. Um, but the the fact that, you know, he, she's, she's grabbing this woman and it struck me for a second. I was like, oh, that seems weird. Why would she bring her along? And I realized the reason that I was taken aback at the doctor bringing this woman along is it's a middle-aged woman. That's somebody like she's she's somewhere like around my age. Mm. And I would not expect the doctor to like grab me by the hand and say, let's go on an adventure because I've seen so many young companions on this show for years and years and years and years. And I think it was just so nice for me to sort of have that realization that, oh, yeah, like compared to the doctor, she's still a teeny tiny baby. And there's no reason that, Mm. uh, you know, middle aged women shouldn't be able to have adventures with the doctor. That's great. And I just like I it almost made me a little bit misty because i was like yay and then she asks her to do something super important she leaves her behind and says you know you can probably stay awake you know you probably don't need a lot of sleep you're good at observing things can you do this for me and she's like yes i can do it and it's a pivotal thing and i just ah and it doesn't put her in danger like you know stay out of sight like that's the main thing do what you do best but stay out of sight and she can do that you know the doctor knows her from history right though so the doctor also knows who she is and recognizes it so she knows immediately like i know who this person is and they they are so not only is it a black woman getting to to do important things but it's a middle-aged black woman i'm just like we do not have enough representation of this on screen and it Mm -hmm. just uh, it just made me so happy yeah and most importantly uh, obviously the doctor and perhaps christian will have to learn their lesson and they she did not wipe their memories when she Uh left yes because yeah, after what she did with um, she lives and and gets to, to keep yeah. those memories. Yeah, well, assuming that there's a time, time flux is not and, reset. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everything will go and like nobody remembers the Santarans occupying Earth either. Right. At the end but of all this, Doctor didn't do anything. Yeah, like, it w- yeah, won't be on her. I think um, one of the things that having a woman as the Doctor has challenged the scripts of this era is how much do you lean into the fact that the doctor has has changed genders and how people respond to her especially mm-hmm. in historical settings and there are times especially in the first season where i felt like there were brief winks but largely it was let's not talk about it and in this episode i thought there was a little bit you know you, you need authority figures to not listen to the doctor right that's that's a that's doctor who 101 goes back to the beginning you need the, the doctor shows up and says let me tell you what we're going to do and they say okay there's no story right generally uh and so here though the general who's a dummy but he is yeah. a he, he dismisses the doctor almost entirely because she's a woman mm-hmm um, which I think is interesting because I think that that hasn't happened as much as I thought it would <laughs> in this era. Um, and there, it, it, there's still some playful uh, moments where, you know, she says that it's, uh, it's it's a little bit fluid. It's a little. Oh yeah, the doctor is a, a term for men. Well, it's fluid. It's, it's fluid. It's fluid is is good stuff. But but that in the end, you know, plot wise, you need a reason for them to say no, no, I'm not, not listening to the doctor. But this general is, you know, he's 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 a dummy, and so the the story just says uh, he he's going to you know take take her away, uh, doctress. He calls yeah. Mary Seacole and just take. 
take her away and and you know I'm not listening to this woman because I'm 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 going I'm doing this for Queen and Country, which led to my favorite line maybe of the whole episode, which is <laughs> Is she right here now, the Queen? Yeah. No, then her influence might be limited. limited. <laughs> yeah. Yay. I think I think that they and they they could have leaned into the you know the doctor is a woman so that's why she's being ignored a little bit more. I thought that it was a nice balance because you actually have a woman who is in charge of things in Mary Seacole being there. Like this is her building. She is a businesswoman. She is charging you for that mm. rum that you're drinking at yeah. her table. So and she has the you know the wherewithal to just say yeah I just discharged my patient. That's why Santarin is you know shouting his way out <laughs> of the building. Yeah. And we're not letting you shoot him in the back um so so i felt like a a good portion of why the general was ignoring the doctor was also because she's a rando and she's spouting complete nonsense Mm -hmm. and except for the word russian which sounds a little familiar to both of them she's just a little bit off her rocker and they're not going to listen to her because of but he doesn't dismiss her because she's off her rocker he dismisses her because she's a woman he does i I think there's both i think Mm -hmm. it's both especially I, i love that moment too where he's like are you expect what is it are you expecting a a response or an answer to your, to your musings, musings or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that's a great reference oh. to basically the doctor talking to themselves yep. over yeah. the past 60 odd years, mm-hmm. essentially. Yep. I guess I, I, uh, I don't know whether this is good or bad, but I think it's interesting that we may get all the way through the Jodie Whittaker era without having that moment where the doctor realizes that there's something that she can't do. And the only mm-hmm. reason she can't do it is because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Like you know, not that she yeah. can't, but physically, but that she's prevented to. Like if if she were presenting as a man, like in her previous lives, and she was in this situation and said this thing, it would just be done because she had yeah. that privilege that she's she has lost now. And I mm-hmm. I can't decide whether the show wants doesn't want to deal with that or doesn't want to talk about that because that's not what the goal is here and wants to be a little more positive about it. But I, I do think about that every now and then like how that's a tricky line to walk of how do you want to tell these stories? And do you want to, do you want to lean into it that way? Or do you want to sort of say, no, the point here is that it doesn't matter. Uh, which it reminds me a little bit of um, taking Martha to historicals yes, where they're like, yeah. Oh, do we need to talk yeah. about racism? It's like, yeah, you kind of do. You kind of do. do. And, and the and, Shakespeare and, episode, they're like, nah, we won't yeah. <laughs> just walk around. Like you own the place. It says the She's white man, from Africa. Know? It's yeah. fine. Yeah. No talk they, uh, about it. And the choice of the Santarans as a, a villain is an interesting one too, because the Santarans aren't going to blink at the fact that the doctor is now a woman because they have no concept of gender no. and they know that the doctor changes faces. So it was just sort of like, uh, you know, not, Oh my God, you're a woman now. It was, Hey, you fooled you my fooled, so- soldier. Yeah. <laughs> you fooled my but, soldier. So that was, good. yeah, but they leaned into it in the Moffat era, you know, silence boy. When yeah. uh, Strax would call Clara mm-hmm. a boy. Right. He just didn't understand right. gender. But, uh, that is I was a good glad moment. they didn't go that far. Cause, cause yeah. it, cause it it's the big reveal, right? It's her big reveal. It's like, haha, I yeah. am the doctor. And he's like, oh, you fooled my dumb soldier. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that was it. That was the whole thing. By the way, the dumb soldier who does lead them back to the camp and through the little hologram or whatever, the uh the uh the, there was a name for it, but it's a hologram. Um it, it, the camouflage shield. That's it. Yeah. Uh yeah. and to the the leader, and then he says, Please, I I beg your mercy, which you know. Means oh, I kill knew what me. that was. We all know yeah. that means kill me now. And yeah. uh, they, this is where we get the uh, the Santar Ho, the sad Santar chant. Yes. Santar yeah. Ho. 
And so long, Dan Starkey, Dan Starkey. Uh, strain of the Santaran uh, mm-hmm. Ninth Battle Fleet. Well, I basically. mean, I I, le- I love that the Santarans are you know clones, but not quite clones uh, because you sometimes need multiple actors. But I do think it's funny that we we have this episode with hundreds or thousands of Santarans running around, including a very spectacular shot where they're all running around yeah. and yeah. fighting the British. And the and the other spectacular shot is when they're down in that kind of like their base and they're all walking around and like it's it's. Uh, uh, thank you, Lord of the Rings, for all your pioneering work yes. in CGI crowds. But it yep. looks really great. And then I chuckled because I said, yeah, and there's only two guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they only have the two. Everyone else has got a helmet on. It's like they only have the two actors to play all these Santarans. And it's like, well, that's they used to only kind of have one. So yep. for a while, there was only the one actor. So now there's back to two. It's good. You know, thank, good job. Um, let's see. What else happens in here? There's a reference to links. You mentioned yep. links earlier. It's like, I mean, we're also getting references to the probic vent, which is just like I, oh, sure. I, I, yeah. I keep expecting them to just like write that out or nope. pretend it doesn't exist anymore. I, or, I keep waiting for the twist on it, right? Where they hit it and it's like ha ha, Mark Two, right? Nope. Yeah. And I just I'm so happy that <laughs> no. it's still it's still there. It, it it is becoming kind of like what gold was to the Cybermen in the 1980s, yeah. where it just becomes like their their one like kryptonite. Surely, uh, other than head canning it away from them being kind of bad, like badly made clones, like right. surely of all the tactics, look over there should not yeah. work, right? It's like oh, oh yeah. behind you, it's your boss, boing, like that. They should. That's like one Centauran one hundred one. Don't turn around, okay? Don't <laughs> turn. Well, I mean, that's around. the idea behind the probic vent in the first place is that Centaurans always attack from the front, sure, yeah, and. And so therefore they don't need to worry about protecting their back which is why you should never, never fall for a look behind you <laughs> i feel like at the at, you know like think about you when you make a, a copy of a copy they're not very bright a copy they're i really think that not. there is just some yeah. degeneration in in terms of yeah, that's why i think the, the the soldiers are kind of so simple and the the, the fellows who are out at uh, at night doing the curfew stuff but then you also have you know the generals who are much smarter, much yes. more articulate. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's just like a range. Also, you know, if you are making millions and millions of clones at a time, probably you're going to be like, okay, these are my shock troops. We don't need to make them that great. These well, are like the mid-level captains. We're yeah. going to make them a little as, better. Like, as someone a, a, who uh, a, a covers tweaking, yeah. as someone who covers technology, I will tell you, and this is, I'm not going to go too far into this, but like a chip maker makes uh, a chip and they're not all the best. And so when, when they make a chip and they offer it in like different speeds or with fewer processor cores or anything like that, it's called binning. The idea there is that they're not all 100% good, but you don't want to throw them away. So you deactivate the bad ones and sell it at a discount. And um, and that's what the Centaurans are doing, you say, which I, I, I'm going to accept the, the headcanon that the, the, the foot soldiers in the Centauran army are the binned clones that are like, they didn't pass all their tests, but they're good enough to run out there maybe as cannon fodder. But really, they're not going to be put in charge of anything because they're not very bright. It's just technology basics is it, all it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. We've Very solved it. Valid, it's, I mean, cloning is just another kind of technology. I mean, <laughs> exactly. it's all, yep. the, all technologies are the same and work the same, right? <laughs> yep. Of course. Probably the so. same works with the clone the clone wars and uh, the clone troopers in Star mm-hmm. Wars, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This is why so many of them are really bad shots. Are very, very all bad. all makes sense. We it's, solved so much today, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's true. Um, let's see. There is the... 
uh, the, the Centaurans reveal, by the way, that the fluxes neither are making nor are control, but uh, we have a psychic command that foresaw its existence, and we use this as a way to attack before the shield took effect. So that's why they're there, and that's our little thing to hang on, why the Centaurans are part of this and in this episode. And uh, the, as for why uh, this particular Centauran is in the Crimean War, he says, well, you know, so much conflict and blood and opportunity, and also I wanted to really ride a horse. Yeah, it's the <laughs> so best. Great. So turn on a horse. I have to admit, I, you know, I, I envisioned Chris Chibnall's little like uh, notebook that he wrote uh, of like things I would like to do if I'm ever put in charge of Doctor Who. That <laughs> right. like on page eight, about halfway down, it says Santarin on a horse. Yep. Yeah. You probably watched the Time Warrior back thinking, oh, it's implied that Lynx rode a horse to the battlefield when they uh, when they attacked the castle, but we never see it. And damn it, when I am Doctor Who show order, we will see Lynx on that horse. That's right. <laughs> And we did, although yeah. the uh, the the BBC uh, um, subtitles misspelled Lynx's name, which was with a Y instead of a yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Metabolus three all over again. <laughs> well, it's that, that's uh, you're missing Lynx for this episode, uh. <laughs> or is it or is it more of a fluid Lynx? Oh, and then it's spelled differently in the. Anyway, so those true. are free. This is a free podcast, people. <laughs> you didn't pay for it. Yep. That's what you get. Enjoy. Enjoy. Um, a great moment of uh, right before the dumb humans try to fight the Centaurans, which just goes exactly as well as you think, which is uh, everybody dies. Almost everybody dies. Uh, we get that moment uh, where the Centauran, again, when the Centaurans are, they're silly, but they also, when they're written well, they're actually incredibly fun. And the moment that I really, really loved is when, other than I wanted to ride a horse, is I accept your offer of a massacre. Your yeah. blood shall stain our uniforms. Your body shall soften our steps. And I'm like, yes. okay, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's speaking of Commander Link's, like that same kind of bombastic speech from Robert Holmes, mm-hmm. it, it is carried through right here. So yep. some things don't change when it comes to Santarans. It's good. Mm. That's good stuff. That's all good stuff. I was, Santarans were always one of my favorites because one of the first Doctor Who episodes I ever saw was the Santaran experiment, which in hindsight oh. is not that interesting. And yet I was fascinated by them. So right. yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, so yeah, they all die and <laughs> all the humans die. It's very bad because they are just uh, British officers in the 1800s and they're fighting aliens aliens with lasers. So how do you think it's going to go? It's really bad. But the good news is that Centaurans are dumb. And so when they're on their huge offensive, they have left their, uh, their secret base completely unguarded, which allows uh, the doctor. Like, like, like a probic vent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, they, I think they all went back and just went back into their ships. Yeah. And they're just like, we are so much more powerful than these, you know, primitives on this yeah. planet. We can leave our ships completely unguarded for seven and a half Wait. minutes mm-hmm. every 30 well, well, even before they figure that out, when, hours, when yeah. they're on the offensive, it's also there. Because that's when the doctor goes back and, and, and uh, uh, Mrs. Seacole is taking notes about the, the fact that they come and go and all of that. And it's deserted down there. Um, and, and so you get this whole, yes, I, they, they have a hologram. Like, no one's going to find them. And the humans are dumb, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, it, goes, it goes a little bit differently. Dan, <laughs> they're in the spaceship and Dan calls. <laughs> Yep. From the other <laughs> plot line. Uh, oh, 
was so funny. Which was, and that is it's basically a, a typical Zoom call mm-hmm. uh, yeah. occurs where they're both talking over each other at the same time. Yeah. Saying and, exactly the and same And there's thing. Zo- yeah. a Zoom, a uh, Centauran Zoom bombs them later, right? And comes and goes, who's yeah. on this channel? Get off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, there's an airdrop that happens in the middle of this, which is the best mm-hmm. that airdrop has ever worked because you just hold your phone up to the screen and the doctor reads all your files. Yep. Even the pictures. Even Sorry, the pictures. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan. That, that reminded me of uh, Mickey, uh, don't read my emails. Yeah. Uh, or or uh, Matt Smith's doctor to what's his name, Jeff, as he's uh, uh-huh. trying to sit you know, on the laptop and oh. delete yep. your history, Jeff. <laughs> or get a girlfriend or something like that, Jeff. Um, so they're invading Earth's history and building time ships. And, and uh, what resources do you have? It was very much like we need a wheel pharaoh and a, and a Holocaust cloak. It's yep. like, well, I have a walk. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck, Dan. Um, yeah, good uh, luck indeed. So anyway, all the casualties are British. They get the the get zoom bombed, and they have to shut down with Dan. And this is where we get uh, the scene where the doctor is going to explain the plan. She says, "I need a pointy stick." All right, pay attention. <laughs> so doctory. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part in that little sequence was when uh, you know Mary C. Cole says yes. Oh, and on you know on the ships, and the doctor turns and says gold star and a sticker for Mrs. C. Cole. And I was just like, I give gold stars yep. to the Verities when they get me their their files quickly and their happy things quickly. So I was like, Doctor Who also hands out gold stars just like I do. And I was also thinking, how can I isolate that little bit of uh, dialogue for future <laughs> use in a Verity episode for you? <laughs> Thank you. Please, yep. please work that out. Oh yeah, no, instantly. When I thought about it, I love I love the uh, the hand drawings of the ship and the, the very bad drawing of a Sontaran. Uh-huh. It's nice that the doctor is pretty much perfect, but she's still like bad at drawing things, which is great. <laughs> she's better than I am. I could tell it was supposed to be a ship. Yeah. I could tell it was supposed I, to be a Sontaran. I, I, I think there's very much a like we don't have a lot of time, and this is good enough. You get it right. <laughs> you know what a Sontaran looks like. This is it. Okay, let's yeah. go. I'm gonna point at it with my pointy stick and then explain everything. Yeah, yeah. pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so what we learn is that the Sontarans have to sleep. Uh, for seven and a half minutes that basically it's this thing where they need to discharge and recharge their suit through the probic vent so that they don't uh, die in Earth's atmosphere. They uh, they all do it at once, which seems like a mistake. <laughs> like, like I said, I think they're just overconfident because they're on a planet full of primitives. Yeah, That's could, my headcanon. It's, it's, it's a real sketchy headcanon. I admit it. I guess it's a... Because they haven't been out for a whole day doing their battle. So it's I could get it if it was like well they were out for a long time and now they're all kind of run out they needed to all time it because they didn't know maybe that was it maybe that could be the headcanon is look they don't know how long the battle with the humans is going to go so they're all right. going to charge up before the battle to a hundred percent so they got their hundred percent air supply when they go out so that they can be out there as long as they need to to kill all the humans uh, but it means that they do need to come back and recharge and that's the point where they sneak in and uh, it, fortunately the tube that contains all of their most vital supplies is located just right above the entryway you just pop <laughs> yeah. it off. Pull it out. Uh, and, I suppose uh, it's easier for yeah. Sontaran technicians to sort of like repair, I suppose. Oh, they need a, they need like a step it. ladder, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a box, like a milk crate or something. Mm-hmm. And I like how like the the direction on these episodes with Jamie Magnus Stone have, has been really nice. And I liked how we are getting a shot from within the repair chamber of the doctor's face as she is explaining, you know, unhook this one and plug it into there and yeah. then unhook this. And like, and honestly, I was thinking, I feel like that's the most 
specific in terms of instruction that I've ever seen the doctor do for companions. Because if I ever ended up faced with a Sontaran ship like that, if I could get that panel off, I could 100% screw with, with their, <laughs> yeah. like, I would know how to do that. You pull off the top one and you plug it in on the side and then you pull off the bottom one and you let it drain in the air. I can do that. Like that, it made me feel like I don't know if this was on purpose so that little kids could feel like, <laughs> like I felt while I was watching it because I right. felt pretty smart. So she's showing this so that everybody, all the other soldiers and stuff, can go around and sabotage the whole fleet, which they do. But you see that the general is sort of like, yeah, some of them didn't do that. Shifty, yeah. and that's because he's got other ideas, and he's gonna he's gonna basically put down explosives, uh, essentially uh, a line of gunpowder to a big explosion, so he can blow up all of their ships, which happens a little bit later. Um, oh, by uh, by the way, we get the moment um, where he comes out and he's like, "You've sabotaged us." Another one of those words, right? Is it's not sabotage. We're your enemy, but he considers enemy actions sabotage. Yeah, or it's, treason. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 which is that same treason thing. It's like I, I don't think it's sabotage if an enemy <laughs> sneaks in and breaks your stuff. I, is it? Maybe it is. I don't I know. Think it, it is. It seems very much like. Wait a second. You're committing. Cri- you're one of us committing crimes against us, which is very Santarin thinking. I guess he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says you got to retreat, and he says we shall make a strategic withdrawal, <laughs> but we shall return. It's like okay, hit the road, Skak. That word will never go across my lips, and it doesn't because he says it differently. Yeah, if I just go use it differently. But hit the road, Skak also made me laugh. That was another good line. That's why he is named that, apparently. Uh, I think so. (laughs) uh, So the general blows them up, and the doctor is uh, outraged because they were retreating. It was done. It makes me wonder why I bother with humanity. Uh, But Mrs. Seacole says, I am grateful that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the, I just I didn't like. I know that the doctor is upset because you shouldn't kill retreating whatever. I was kind of like I was sort of on the general yeah, side. Yeah, Santarans, like they're, they're, they're not going to change. They're, they're, they're just going to come back and kill or, you later. They're not yeah. saying we, we're we, we've learned our lesson and we're leaving. They're like uh, we'll mm. retreat and then oh sorry, strategic withdrawal and then we'll come back right, and right. kill you. It's like yep. well, no. Also, because we had uh, you know in the future in Liverpool because we had the big temporal explosion or whatever did all of the Sundarns die in the crimean war or did that get reset just along with everything else that got reset so it's possible that none of that even happened and if they had not blown up would they have come back and then there would have been more Sundarns in the 21st Mm -hmm. century to wreck things right so it's all yeah i I was not as i appreciated the doctor being consistent and saying you shouldn't do this they were retreating while at the same Mm -hmm. time not feeling particularly bad that they but she also has a very good point that you know the 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 general says this is for my men and she's like you mean it's for your guilt because it totally is Mm -hmm. because he's a very bad general and is bad but i still don't feel bad that the centaurans died nope no but he's a bad very bad general okay the big finish Mm -hmm. Woo. Doctor arrives in Liverpool. Um, I need your people, the dog people, to protect the planet while I'm away. Mm-hmm. So, Carvinista, okay. good watchdog. Yeah, stay. Yeah, <laughs> stay and protect. Uh, and they're like, "Hey, I gotta find Yaz. Want to come, Dan?" He's like, "Okay, oh, oh yeah, all right. I'm good that at this was- alien stuff now." That was wonderful because even though I complain about the the new Who version of Companions versus the classic Who version of Companions, I also because I'm a Doctor Who fan, so I can be really nitpicky about really really ridiculous stuff. Uh, I also feel like even in classic Who, like you, the, the people argue about what does the term companion mean, and for me, it was always somebody who was with the Doctor 
by choice, like kind of their choice, not so much as the doctor's choice, which is why I never count Sarah Kingdom as a companion because she was just along for that one story because, you know, she needed to help for that. And she had no intention of actually staying and traveling with the doctor. So in the first episode, I was like, this is cool. I'm liking Dan. I don't really see him as a companion because he is a random person in this you know storyline that just sort of got swept up in the action. He never made a choice to travel with a doctor. So at the end, when she turns to him and says, you know, would you like to come along? And you get that moment of him and i think john bishop puts a like a great performance at that moment you can see him thinking about mm-hmm. it and you can see him like recognizing how cool the doctor is and how much fun he's had doing what he's done mm-hmm. and when he says okay i was just like yes <laughs> and maybe how few spaghetti strands are sitting in his cupboard at home in yeah. his house that no longer exists or is at least in his, in his coat it's... pocket they go, maybe yeah sure <laughs> well i mean he could go and hang out like stay with his parents, with parents. I'm sure. yeah but, uh... but yeah i do like that yeah mm-hmm. yeah his first come, bit of come in the tardis can... all the soup you want yeah. yeah. And spaghetti. And sp- well, yes. Sometimes even fresh, too. It's a bottomless yeah. spaghetti. It's basically an olive garden in there. There's, yeah. There's as much, <laughs> much bread as you want, whatever. Oh, um, love it. And we get the, as you mentioned earlier, we get the, uh, I hope I never see you again, the feelings mutual to Carvinista. Uh, but oh. the TARDIS is all uh, corrupted and gooey and bad oh. and uh, yep. is hijacked. And where is it going? Well, guess what? It's to the Triangle Temple, and it all comes back together. Spatial temporal readings are at zero, which I I actually thought was not techno babble, but meaningful. This is the center of everything. This is the mm-hmm. beginning of yeah. everything of time and space. And there's something fundamental about this place and how it works with time and manages time that is probably going to change how we think of Doctor Who time travel things forever until the next time they change it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it gets wiped out. All the toys get put back back in the box. Yeah, the I mean, because that'll happen. This, but but yeah. it, until then, Azure appears and says, "This come this way," and they're <laughs> yeah. like, "Well, this is a trap." But what else are we gonna do? That was another moment I thought of great direction because you have the the camera behind them, and you get sort of like a, a close up on the doctor from behind us. She's she's looking at John. Bishop and like Jodie Whittaker is perfect in that moment. Well, this is obviously a trap. Like the look on her face was just perfection. Mm -hmm. And then the camera, like, you know, slides over, pans over to to him and he's like, but we're going in anyway. It was just like that was a a little exchange between Mm -hmm. the doctor and somebody who I consider like a a brand new companion y companion deciding now you're getting it. Yeah. (laughs) This is is how this usually goes. Yeah. We know it's a trap, but we go anyway. Mm Yeah. At least we know it. So uh, these are the Mori, or the remnants of them at least, uh, says Swarm. Uh, the Mori in the Temple of Atropos on the planet Time. Uh, the Temple is broken. The Mori are failing. These are the creatures who hold time in this universe together, and they're broken. Time is beginning to run wild. That could really harm the TARDIS. Oh, yeah. You think? I, I and, think, and, 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 I think and, the two moments in this story that got me the most just like viscerally were that thinking about what was happening to the inside of the TARDIS and then the moment we mentioned earlier where the TARDIS has no door no because doors. it's just so fundamental mm. to Doctor Who right. that these I don't know well, enough about these bad guys to know exactly who they are but I know that they're messing with the TARDIS and that makes me fear them more than I've feared a lot of Doctor Who bad guys. And the yeah. TARDIS is kind of a proxy for the health of time, right? Like yeah. that's kind mm. of what because it's our familiar 
uh, thing in the show. And so by having it be wounded or messed up, I, I think it's really brilliantly done as being a proxy for, because you can say time is broken or time is running out of control and, you know, portentous speech by a bad guy with gems right. in his head and all of that. And you're like, okay. <laughs> But uh, then the TARDIS is like oozing goo and do- won't want doesn't want to open and like then you're like oh no I see now mm-hmm. this is bad this is very yep. bad I feel it the TARDIS is our friend yeah the Doctor has to coax the TARDIS okay it's me I'm here yeah. everything's okay and then the door appears you know like yep. oh my heart <laughs> they have no, a connection I gotta connection. I gotta give this season credit this and the multiple doors in the TARDIS too it's kind yeah. of yes. like weird like. The modern series has done some very fun things with the TARDIS from the very beginning of having shots where you go through the door and a properly lit um, uh, cell, you know, a, a photo in the back of the TARDIS. Uh, yeah. The, yep. the entryway is explicitly the same in the beginning and the end instead of having some sort of negative space in between <laughs> the doors black, on the inside and the doors black on the void, outside. Yeah, black void between <laughs> videotape and uh, exterior film scenes. Yeah, sort of it's, it's yeah. white and blocky with circles on the inside and it's wooden and has squares on the outside, but it's yeah. the same door, maybe, or maybe there's sure. a mudroom in there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So they've done a bunch of fun things with it in the little TARDIS in, in uh, Flatline. Um, like, but but the, the last two episodes here have, have done interesting, weird things with the TARDIS. So big uh, credit for that for this season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Yaz and Vinder are kind of dressed up like the Mori and uh, and we get our big finale, which is that Swarm says to the Doctor, well, you know, we don't want to hurt the TARDIS. We got to get stabilized time. So I'm going to take your two pals here and I'm going to snap my fingers in five. <laughs> Countdown, won't you, Azure, dear? Uh, yeah. Ooh, and fun. Uh, start, the, start the clock. Yeah, uh-huh. and when I snap yeah. my fingers, the all the time powers or whatever will flow through them. And how long do you think their bodies are going to last? Uh, they're poor, frail human bodies when the uh, all the time forces pass through them. Snap, end of episode. <laughs> yep. Good, good uh, and, what, and one last reminder of the key to time for when in mm. the Armageddon factor, when they have five pieces and they, they know what the shape of the six is going to be, the Dr. Romana construct a fake, a fake one uh, to go in there. And so that's just basically what Vinder and uh, Yaz are. So, yep, you mm. heard it here first. Doctor Who, key to time key season time two. <laughs> season 16, 1978 to 79. That is what this is directly referencing. That's the key mm. to flux is what you're saying. God, you're such a it nerd. <laughs> yep. I'm glad I married you. <laughs> oh, that's So, our, so how, how are we feeling? How are we feeling after two episodes of this six episode Doctor Who season event thing? I'm loving it. I really am. It's uh I have watched this uh each episode twice. Uh like once I watched it like last week I said I really enjoyed that. And then I wanted to sort of like check back and like check a scene and realize that I guess I'm just watching this whole episode again. And then I wanted to see what the uh the CTV sci-fi airing which you know is our cable version of BBC America here. And so I watched it there and then I think okay this is what the commercials look like. Let's watch it again properly before I record ready for sport. <laughs> I watched it four times on Sunday. I'll probably do the same again today i watched it twice yep. already you um did watch it yeah twice. mostly out of enthusiasm not for homework yeah it was just just really ex- exciting 
I mean, I have I have enjoyed the Chibnall era of Doctor Who a lot. So I've you know it's it's always fun to sit down and watch Doctor Who, but I don't think that the previous Chibnall seasons felt as propulsive. And I think part of that is the the episode to episode thing. Like we get a cliffhanger in between, mm-hmm. and knowing that it's not just a two parter. Like this is just a story that's going to keep going. And you know, part of it is is the fact that I really like cliffhangers, and part of it is the fact that cl- cliffhangers to me feel very classic Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just I'm I am here for the ride, and I'm very excited to see what parts of the story they tell us next, and how the heck do we you know we better be getting Yaz out of that uh, <laughs> out of that problem. Well, she's she's in the next time is trailer. She? I yeah. saw I saw Vinder, but I, the very I, last scene is yeah. her looking in the rearview mirror, and there's a weeping angel behind. Oh, okay, her, so. good. <gasps> All right. Yeah. I mean, no surprise. Like obviously, yeah. like they weren't going to kill before. her off in the second episode. Yeah. But like, how does that happen? Does the Liverpool guy <laughs> show up and just screw everything up, yeah. or is there something and, else? And what happens to uh, who is this Vinder, and why does he need redemption in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. there's there's a mystery towards that character because he is the one per- well apart from the, the tunnelers in 1820 Liverpool mm-hmm. that we know so little about my guess on the tunnelers is they're making the tunnels to match the hallways of the temple so that somehow the temple can be moved Ooh. underground to earth in Liverpool whether you know it doesn't have to be right. the 1820s it could be quote unquote present day mm-hmm. um, to somehow save time that's my guess putting so, it putting my stake okay. in the ground why not all right I um I am liking it too. I mean, it is the standard thing, which is when everything is connected like this, you can you can enjoy the ride, but I think you also need to withhold a little bit of judgment to see how they put it all together. And we're going to have to do that for the whole season, really. It's I like, probably should, yeah. but so far I have not been doing that, well, and I've just been should, giving it all. You should of my enjoy the ride, and, and and sometimes it is more about the journey than the destination. And I agree, it's been very exciting, and yet if and also. I really like that feeling of menace. I am really liking Swarm as a villain. The fact that Swarm is kind of master-like, but a little less bwahaha, a little bit, not a lot. He's still got that. But he is um, master-like and uh, has a history with the Doctor that the Doctor doesn't know about, which I think is fun. He obviously has a plan that involves the complete destruction of time, which is interesting or at least a a or a loosening of time and so that it runs wild whatever his plan is it is uh i I like the one-sidedness of it i like how the doctor herself doesn't quite understand the depths of their history which makes him i think scarier he's got his scary sister and, and this mysterious scary passenger that's going on there and just the whole idea that he was all locked up forever and now has escaped to wreak his revenge again. Um, it is cribbed a little bit from Can You Hear Me from last season, where there's the godlike character who's in a prison right. and escapes and finds his sister. And I actually loved those villains oh, so. and was super disappointed oh, yeah. that they were quickly dispatched at the end of that episode because I thought that that would be a great recurring villain. They're like straight on powerful and terrifying. And mm. instead it was sort of like, ah, uh, but I, uh, I tricked you and <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. that's it. They're it's over. And now and, you're in a jar or something like that. And so yeah. to have a, a similar kind of threat and knowing that they're going to play out over the whole season, instead of just having to wrap it up after one or two episodes, that also makes me like, that villain more because I feel like they, they are going to get room to execute their plan and presumably we'll see how it wraps up. Presumably it won't wrap up in five minutes with somebody flipping a switch somewhere and that there'll be more (laughs) important things, but you never know. You never know. But I'm also liking it so far. Um, And I I think it's been an enjoyable ride. And I like that we're getting little slices of story plus 
the overarching story. I think that that is a lot of fun. And those triangles, uh, RIP to the little floating triangle guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I cute. always, I like beginnings. So like I loved the first yeah. episode. There was just so much and I'm, I'm still really enjoying it. It will be interesting to see if like when we sort of reach the back end of this and we start actually tying up some of these questions, if I will still be feeling quite so excited about it. Because as you said, Jason, like that, you know, the journey, yes, it's its own reward. But if you end up in a quarry somewhere and it's both Boring. That's you know, <laughs> not the greatest ending. So let's hope so that let's they are tied ho- up. Hope there isn't a big showdown in a quarry. Let's not go back to Ranscore Avcolos, basically. Yeah, here, here. Yeah. Well, there we go. Episode two. Guess what? Next week, more, more Doctor Who, more Yay. flux. It's good. It's good. Stephen and Erica, thank you so much for being on my little flashcast. I know that you will then. You know, well, Erica, you're not on Verity this. Time is I'm not. Right? No, this is that's this why. is me talking about this uh, episode on a podcast. So, uh, so that's right. If you want to hear it here only, you just heard it. And then as for Stephen, you can hear him uh, at great greater length <laughs> with his two pals on Radio Free Scaro. Uh, and you guys are streaming. I should say this because I think it's very exciting for people who are Doctor Who fans uh, and are really excited about the show on Sunday. You guys are streaming Radio Free Scaro live this season, right? Yes, we are. Uh, Basically, to uh, ensure that the three of us have time to watch it, uh, but at the complete uh, expense of anyone in the UK, because we're doing it at like 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time. So it's not exactly prime time for a lot of places. It's um, like the afternoon um, for Australia. But Americans, Australians, you watch it then live, and then everybody else can just... It's a podcast. You just catch up later. It's... Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's been fun. It's been fun knowing that there's a live audience there. And uh, yeah. J- Jason, you indirectly helped me set up like uh, the way to like play in live music and stuff like that. Go on and play in the, yeah, yeah. It's all the good stuff. Yeah. So well, it, it, it quells my, my morning DJ impulses nice. as well. So it's been a lot of Once fun. Once you get a soundboard, you can just play wacky sound effects and stuff. It's dangerous. Non-stop air horns all the time. It's so great. Well, thank you both for being on the Doctor Who Flashcast episode. Very high number for an episode that's literally the second episode, but uh, we're going to call it 64, (laughs) and that's just how it's going to be. Thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, altogether different guests uh, and an altogether different episode, so that works. And we will see you then. Goodbye. Doctor Who Flashcast, only in the Doctor Who Flashcast.